0: Lost in the Storm Anatoly Nikolaevich Bukrev made a decision, one that some would later call suicidal. He decided to attempt a rescue, to go into the storm solo, into a lacerated darkness, into the roar of what one climber described as a hundred freight trains passing over your head. Bukhreyev's efforts resulted in what the mountaineer and writer Galen Rowell would later call one of the most amazing rescues in mountaineering history. Two weeks after the disaster on Mount Everest, Bukhreyev flew from Kathmandu, Nepal, to Denver, Colorado, where he was met by friends and driven to Santa Fe, New Mexico, to recuperate from his ordeal. Upon arriving, he asked to meet me because a few months earlier, at a mutual friend's request, I had arranged for him the purchase of a camera and its delivery to the Everest base camp. On May 28, 1996, we met for the first time. I had seen photographs of Bukhraev that had been taken prior to the events on Mount Everest. Lean, taut, with a confident smile is how I imagined him. As I walked into our mutual friend's house, he rose slowly from a chair to greet me. His eyes were sunken, tired. The tip of his nose and places on his lips were crusted in lack, the tell-tale dead skin that comes with severe frostbite. He was distant. He looked as if he'd moved out of his body and into a place that had no address. Something about him was familiar the hollowness the emptiness behind the eyes as he took a step forward to shake my hand I made the connection a Russian soldier I'd encountered in Mozambique during the war there sitting in the back of a canvas covered troop transport an AK-47 cradled in his lap he had looked at me with those same eyes and warned away my attempts to record him on motion picture film. It had been a disturbing moment, not so much for the casualness with which he pointed his weapon, but for the blankness he wore on his face. Over dinner we talked. My attempts to revive my college Russian were useless, so Bukhraev spoke in English, fluid, and understandable enough, but simple in its constructions. He wanted to talk about Everest, not to tell his story, but to inquire out loud about what had happened. He was trying to understand what he had just been through. The next day we met again, and then the next, and we talked. Our mutual friend told me that Bukhraev was having dreams at night, troubling dreams about being on Mount Everest, knowing that he had to get oxygen to stranded climbers whom he could never find. He never told me about the dreams, but he told me about what had happened on Everest, how he had come to the mountain, how he had left it in the last days of May. His stories were not dramatically told, not embellished. A brewed pot of tea had the same rhetorical weight as being lost in a blizzard. I came to appreciate his forthrightness, his responses to my questions, that with my growing curiosity became harder and more detailed. We began to tape our conversations. In early June 1996, Bukhraev asked me if I would collaborate with him on this book. I was interested, yes, I explained, but if I took it on, I would want to range beyond his first-person experience to ask my own questions. The idea appealed to him. He knew some pieces, but was missing others. For his own reasons, he was as curious as I about where the trail would take us. Bukreev contributed his personal journals, letters, expedition logs, and memories he regained the 20 pounds he'd lost on Mount Everest the smiles returned to his face i traveled met those who had climbed with him and the friends and associates of those who had not returned with the help of translators interpreters